Huzzah! Hi! Welcome back to a brand new episode. Sorry, there was a gap in stuff. Laura and I have been going utterly fucking crazy. We were both sick. You got <sighs> sick first, then I got That's sick. That's right, I got the COVID. I got the Rona. I didn't get the Rona, I just got the sick. I just got the sick. <laughs> I just got the ick. Um, yeah, almost three years in this crazy pandemic dodgeball game i made it almost three years without ever getting it and then we were all three taken out my mom hardly had my mom hardly had anything because she's had like this is her fourth booster she just got it her fourth one a month ago but coy and i've only had one so we got it not too 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 bad but it was a miserable yeah for four days we were like we're pretty sure we're dying um so (laughs) that was that was that on that but um yeah yeah, so we've gotten the sick and the COVID and the, you know, 900 jobs. I got a new job as a paranormal um, a tour guide here in Raleigh. So I have a tour shortly. So we're going to blow through this episode, not because we don't want to take time and spend with you guys, but I have to go to work. <laughs> and I have to try to hang Christmas lights in my house and not die. We're gonna oh, do that. did you decorate the outside? No, that's what I'm doing tonight. Oh, I you said in your Because I was sick, so I mean, the yeah, last thing I, I wanted to do, and then it rained here, which is weird for Phoenix, but it rained yeah. all day, and a I'm hoping it doesn't sure. start raining before I go have time to hang them up. Yeah, for sure. So that's the plan. That's the plan. We'll also, decorate guys, the tree. apparently we're just smack dab into the EVPs now. Yeah, this is happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so... Um, the other thing is, um, our merch sale was a big success. Thank you so much to everybody who ordered and look at what you could have had. Eh, 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 eh. I bought a, I bought a ton of hoodies. I have five now. <laughs> I have five. Mm-hmm. Well, I had the two, I had two from the last one, the ash gray one. And then I washed one of my ash gray hoodies with, um, something purple. And so now that's a lovely shade of lavender. So I have that color. Then you would I bought, have ordered that color anyway. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I would have, yeah. Um, and then I ordered with the birch shell. Laura and I ordered our stuff. And I got this color. I got a bright blue one. And I got a wine colored one. I also got two nice. t-shirts and two tank tops. <laughs> and I got my mom a pair of sweatpants. Like, I went a little nuts. But we got it at cost. I got a t-shirt and a couple sweatshirts. Uh, five total Whatever. sweatshirts. <laughs> there's four people too. Uh, yeah, I was like, I love that. a couple. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, so the merch sale. Yeah, you have to, <laughs> for sure. The merch sale went really well. Um, we are going to consider bringing it back uh, early 2023. Um, and then the only other thing I had as far as EVPs, guys, was, yes, we did. Um, we had said we were going to be at SpiritCon down in St. Augustine, Florida in May. Um, but we're not. That got canceled. Uh, so instead, we are going to go to the Ohio Parapsychon. Yay. Uh, and that's going to be held at Ohio, Ohio State Reformatory, uh, otherwise known as Mansfield, also known as where Shawshank was filmed, also known as History of Haunting, covered this episode, um, or covered this location in an episode back in, uh, you know, 20 whatever year, Mm -hmm. 20, I think, 
Anyway, we've covered it. Go listen to it. It's going to be super, super cool. Um, lots of really awesome people from the paranormal community are going to be there. Uh, Andrea Perrin, and I believe Dave Schrader, Shane Pittman, all of these guys. So we're going to be there as a vendor, guys. And um, come on out and see us. It's a huge weekend event. Lots of food trucks. Laura's very excited about that. Um, it's it's just a really you huge... make it sound like I don't eat. <laughs> Like, no, I'm. I'm. That's not on wheels. <laughs> you don't um, eat anything that's not. That on all wheels. I do is eat or something. I mean, mm. kind of food, but like not really. And she does love food that's on wheels. So that's not untrue. It's not untrue. So it's going to be a really great time, guys. It's going to be the weekend of May um, 1920, 2021 or eighteen nineteen twenty in that vein. Check out your twenty twenty three calendar, uh, Mansfield, Ohio. Um, we're going to be there as vendors. Yay! Ah. Uh, that's all I had. Okay, it's fine. I got to leave in an hour and a half. So we guys are going to go ahead and get right into it. Laura, did you have anything else before we jump into today's location? Uh, no, I don't. But this is a listener suggestion that um, mm-hmm. was told to me when I was happened to be visiting um, LA, actually. So, and this is fairly close to LA. So yeah, yeah. Pull it up. Oh, wait, I lied. I'm so sorry. I fucking lied. Um, I did want to give a shout out and I told her that I would. One of the podcasts, um, longest listeners, longest fans. She was one of our Patreons. Her name is Layla and Layla and I have gotten to be good friends over the last three fucking years. We've do this podcast. What? Three years, guys. Closing in on 200 episodes. But Layla just got married. And Laura, she got married in Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> her wedding oh, pictures. Nice. Love Savannah. Oh, God. Her wedding pictures are absolutely stunning. So I wanted to um, give a shout out and a toast to Layla and her new husband. Congratulations, you guys. We hope that you have a wonderfully happy, wonderfully long, wonderfully spooky marriage together so this episode is for you um yeah cheers uh let's see here okay we are going to laura tell them everything (laughs) we are going to the channel islands california kind of yeah yeah kind of um this is a really good one university it's been a lot of stuff california yeah that was a bunch of things before so it's not actually the island themselves but which I'm sure are also very spooky and cool. So is it on an island or it's just so close to... No, it's to... inland. It's called... It's close to where... Um, oh, okay. It's on the mainland as opposed to on the Channel Island. Okay, but so... It's, it's Channel Island adjacent. Right. Okay. Exactly. So, on that note... All right. Um, we are talking about the... What is now the Channel Island um, branch of... Um, the university, but prior to that, it was Camarillo State Mental Hospital. I love um, a good mental hospital. Oh, wait, sources real fast. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry, guys. I didn't get a chance to update our source uh, overlay. So we're just, we're literally flying by the seat of our stupid pants. Right. So as usual, we're on top of things. So uh, mine are users.resist.ca, Wikipedia, mm-hmm. weird.ca, and latimes.com. Okay, cool. All right, so um, this was also known as Camarillo State Hospital, and it was a public psychiatric hospital for both patients with developmental disabilities and mental illness in Camarillo, California. 
Okay. And the hospital was in operation from 1936 to 1997. Uh, the former hospital campus, like I was saying, it, it was redeveloped um, and opened in 2002 as a branch of the California State University Channel Islands. Um, the university kept um, the distinctive miss- mission revival style architecture and the famous bell tower in the South Quad um, has been adopted as the symbol of the university. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, we'll talk more about that in a little while. Ooh, so right. when the United States took possession of California and other Mexican lands in 1848, it was bound by the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Hmm to honor the legitimate land claims of Mexican citizens residing in those captured territories. So the land upon which the former Camarillo State Hospital sat once belonged to Isabel Yorba as part of an 1836 land grant known as Rancho uh, Gadalesca. This is just my my poor Spanish. Um, Okay. So in 1929, the California legislature initially appropriated a million dollars for the purchase of land and buildings to be utilized for a state hospital. Um, and three years later, they purchased 1,500 acres of the 8,600-acre Lewis Ranch and that was located within the city of Camarillo, County of Ventura. Okay. And they got it for about $400,000. Okay. Um, so then they rushed and got an architect and... Um, began to build because they wanted to originally accommodate 3,000 patients for the first unit. And the hospital was expected to cover 200 acres with supply wards, homes for, you know, the officials and dormitories for the employees and patients, commissaries and storerooms. Right. Guys, by the Um, way, the noise you hear is Laura's dog. He has, he's barking. So she, (laughs) so she had to give him something to put in his mouth so that he would bark. So I was like, that sounds kind of creepy. I should probably explain what that is. (laughs) Yeah. I don't realize how loud he is. (laughs) <laughs> like kind of block it out like i'm just, just like whatever. yeah i'm just so used to it that i just don't even hear it anymore <laughs> um so the first um artist rendition of the hospital appeared in the camarillo news um in 1932 um oh. and 50 male patients arrived in camarillo in march of 1933 and they were initially housed in the farmhouse on the ranch and that number grew to over 100 in 1934. Um, then they, you know, got busy building. Um, and oh. so, <laughs> sorry, and now I'm like distracted by his sound. <laughs> like, woof, dude, take it easy. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Um, in 1933, um, the Camarillo State Hospital, and they call it CAM. Oh, okay. Um, it did get its official name, and it joined six other state institutions that had sixteen thousand patients between them in California or across in California, the country. Back Whoa. In the 30s. No, just in California. Woof! That's a lot of mentally ill folk. Yeah, but or it developmentally is. challenged. Either you know, you know, they kind of just threw everybody. In I mean, yeah, if you woman read novels, in you went. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> She's a thinker. Oh, no. <laughs> Put her away. <laughs> She's a thinker. <laughs> uh, so, again, yeah, the first ones were men. And then in 37, they got 300 women um, that came from other hospitals. 
Um, in fact, there were so many patient transfers from other overcrowded state hospitals. The other ones, obviously. Um, <laughs> they were they like, thank God. <laughs> a North complex that Holy they started shit. in 39. It um, is a big, it's a big place. This is a big place. So at that time, then they divided them into like male and female. Oh, okay. So in 47, they opened a ward for the admission of children with de- developmental disabilities. Yeah. <laughs> So when this ward expanded, a children's treatment center was constructed and occupied in January of 55. Uh, mm. The facility grew with a new and receiving treatment and an administration building in 49. Staff population around that time was around 1,500. So in 1957, the patient population reached its peak, exceeding 7,000. Oh, my um, God. And that was the largest they ever had. I was like, wow, staff of 1,500, that sounds really doable. And then you're like, but the patients. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to tell some stories about the kind of stuff that happened there in a little bit. Cool. Um, Because those are always good times. Uh, So prior to 59, um, the adolescent males and females were housed with the mentally disabled adults. Oh, geez. Um, And in 1959, the adolescent females, including autistic patients, were separated from their adult counterparts. So that was a good thing. That was. And by 68, um, the adolescent division was even separated from the children's division and organized into four treatment units and a special school. Okay. So the hospital began its double duty in 67 when its role as a mental hospital for illnesses such as schizophrenia and and depression was widened to include a center for clients with developmental disabilities such as organic brain disease autism and other birth defects that limit the ability to learn okay in 1969 the lanterman petrus short act became effective and that was a big deal for nationwide it became a big deal because it eliminated the previous indefinite confinements of people who were found by a court to be mentally disabled oh okay instead of just being put away forever This act in California said that they had to um, re like every year they had to go back and reconsider people that had been hospitalized involuntarily. Oh, wow. All right. So state agencies encouraged outside placement of individuals under the penal code. Nah. Which in turn led levels of care services at state hospitals to decrease, which while cost of care increased. Okay. So good and bad. But I mean, right. Did at least give the people who had been, you know, put in a chance to, you know, they just weren't like put in for life anymore. They could. Right. Yeah. Right. A little bit. They had to be reviewed. So in 1971, the Camarillo treatment staff was reorganized under a program management concept, which enabled the establishment of treatment programs for people with similar needs. So basically, they what a like crazy idea we're gonna put people that have the same kind of issues together together <laughs> as sure, opposed to just sure. putting them all together <laughs> right instead of putting somebody that had developmental disabilities in with two criminally insane murderers i mean like you know. trent like trent like i love trans allegheny but they did some dumb yeah. stuff <laughs> they right, did exactly. some dumb things <laughs> So, and then in 1983, an innovative approach to treatment for the mentally disabled was initiated at CAM. The activity allowed adult patients to be placed in a day treatment location away from the living units. 
So patients were allowed to leave oh, okay. at various times to attend therapy groups, activity, educational programs. Cool. Um, they also benefited from treatment approaches that were developed by UCLA. Oh, all right. Uh-huh. So the, the scheduling of patient into groups based on their needs and strengths allowed for the most individualized treatment available in the history of the facility. So some of the stuff that came out of this place um, was good and, you know, kind of groundbreaking at different times. Yeah. I mean, generally a place was terrible, but we'll get to that. <laughs> Damn it. It wasn't all holding hands and singing Kumbaya. It's not. Yeah. So, and then in 85 to um, further this new vision and role for the hospital, um, they evolved, it evolved from a locked lifetime institution for the severely mental ill into a facility which provided innovative and successful treatment modalities for drug and alcohol abusers. Cool. As well as programs that stabilize the mentally and developmentally disabled and successfully return them to society. So for many years, the hospital remained independent and autonomous from the outside world with its own gardens, ice house, dairy, butcher, fire and police departments, hospital, beauty parlors, petting zoo, clothing stores, swimming pool, and bowling alley. Oh, all right. It even housed staff on its grounds with its accreditation ratings consistently high in the 80s and the 90s. The hospital seemed like it was going to last forever. Unfortunately, the end of the institution came to economic challenges and a changing outlook on mental health treatment. Yeah. So in 67, Governor Ronald Reagan signed the bipartisan that Lanterman Petra Short Act, which impacted a lot of the state hospitals, forcing many to close immediately. But another contributing factor was in 96, when um, the governor created a special task force to look at the hospital and to see how effective it was versus, you know, cost. Sure. So that task force cited that it housed as many as, you know, the seven over 7,054. It only had 871 clients in 96. Whoa. And the per capita cost had risen to nearly 114,000, which is the second highest in the state mental health system. Wow. Yeah. And they ended up yeah, closing it in 96. Yeah. Uh, and then again, the university took over. And originally the state had kind of wanted to turn it into a prison. Um, but the community was like, no, <laughs> we'd rather not. So instead they turn it into a university. Let's educate our young here. Alrighty. And that's what it is to this day. Um, oh, good Lord. One of the, the coolest things that I thought, so as you know, I love jazz. Um, oh yeah. There was um, one of the most famous people that ever spent time here was Charlie Bird Parker. Um, hmm. He was a famous jazz musician and one of my favorites. And he stayed as a resident for six months in 46 and 47. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Parker had a big drug and alcohol problem. <laughs> and in June 46, he had entered the lobby of Hollywood Civic Hotel completely naked playing his saxophone. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was sent back to his hotel room where he lit a cigarette, fell asleep, and subsequently then set his bed on fire. <laughs> and he was a guest so, at the hotel? Yeah. Oh, my. Um, okay. So the judge sent him to the mental hospital. and Probably not um, a bad idea. Yeah, he stayed. Got better-ish. 
And um, upon his release, he recorded the famous song Relaxin' at Camarillo. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Um, this hospital is also rumored to be the Eagles' inspiration for the classic rock song Hotel California. Yeah. Um, however, Glenn Fry and Don Henley did deny that in the documentary History of the Eagles. Yeah. Um, Actually, you know what? I think I mentioned that, too. Yeah. There was something about... Um, the album cover and how it looks like the bell tower of the the famous bell tower. That's kind of why I mentioned it earlier. Yeah, yeah. So it's iconic. And now it's used as part of like, you know, the kind of trademark of the this branch of the university. But it's also if you kind of look at the album cover. Yeah. For Hotel California, it resembles that very much in the in the background there. Yeah. Okay. So then yeah, we did read we did read the same article. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, was, I was like, I feel like I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I did see it actually mentioned in a bunch of stuff about this place. Um, and then, and I did tell you, you know, there was about 7,000 back in the 50s. At one point, this was the largest psychiatric hospital west of the Mississippi. Hang on, guys. Okay, so patients there um, were rumored to have undergone, it's not even rumored, they went under, <laughs> under um, electroshock therapy as well as being immersed in tubs of hot water followed by being wrapped in icy towels. There were lobotomies um, that occurred as well as rampant patient abuse and negligent deaths. I feel like every single one of our listeners just rattled all of those things off with you because it was it's the same for every... Like, I feel like they were like, lobotomy, ice bath, hot water. <laughs> Patients were often left alone in restraints, heavily drugged alone in isolation rooms. Um, these are some pictures of um, what it looked like when it was a mental hospital. So you've got a, surg a surgery room here. That looks like happy things happened there. And always. then a little, like, sunroom, it looks like, with some patients looking like they're playing or having a conversation or yeah so these are a couple of pictures i found of it when it was a lovely and progressive medical insti right. institution <laughs> so a big thing that will differ i think differ here um california surprisingly was um a huge practice sir of eugenics um <sighs> particularly from the 20s well into the 50s yeah. um, and for people who are not familiar with what that is they sterilized a lot of people that they deemed were that they didn't want to procreate basically so um yeah. all they, they did, felt they, were deficient of being like character a, or uh, health wise mentally ill and yeah those like any kind of super breeder they wanted people that were beautiful and smart and tall and just were good air quote breeders yeah and yeah. so what they did in california um and this is well documented they um sterilized without their consent uh almost like a very large percentage of the any of the mental Mentally um, people that were in the mental hospitals, developmentally disabled people that were um, in living. They did people that were on welfare. They did women that were considered um, thinkers, promiscuous, yeah, or thinkers. Okay, <laughs> um, promiscuous. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah, I mean, all kinds of 
people i mean they could have just been simply foreign you know i mean any right yeah they actively sterilized people there were um cases that came up later um against the state of california for people who had been sterilized you know one big famous one was this girl she got her mom put her in i believe into a mental institution and um she was sterilized there at her mother's request because she had it sounds like she had had sex as a teenager and her mom wasn't a fan dude if they did that with every single teenager that had sex the population would die out Mm -hmm. there goes humanity (laughs) no i'm not saying every teenager but a big chunk of us sure did I don't know. Speak for yourself, Gary. Mm, oh. Um, so <laughs> there was um, a wide swath of society that ended up in Camarillo State um, between when it opened in 36 and when it finally closed in 97. I mean, teenagers, the women who rebelled, um, drug us- users, um, people who drank criminally insane, the questionably insane, and people <laughs> which is us <laughs> we right. are the questionably insane <laughs> so um there's a lot of archives and a lot of la times articles about some of the stuff that happened there and i'm going to tell you some fun things um just about some of the stuff that hit the headlines uh in the 70s the the hospital was under a lot of scrutiny for a lot of negligent deaths that were happening and um not great so there's an la times article from november 11 1976 and it has a headline hospital laxity may have caused deaths and the article says that in september of 1974 a cross 35 died of smoke inhalation in a small seclusion room after apparently setting fire to his sheets with matches oh fuck to get matches nobody yeah supposedly they had taken them away guess not because there were cigarette the butts that... and stuff in there. Yeah. Oh, God. Jeez. Okay. So, again, in um, 76, um, there was, like I said, there were, it was the fourth day of public hearings before the Ventura County um, Grand Jury. And they were talking about the Camarillo State Hospital. So, one of the cases cited in, that, in this article was the death by starvation of Stephen Miller, 33 who died at Camarillo in September of 74 also. The man in charge of the ward the night Miller died said to reporters that the ones to blame for Miller's death were your senators, your Department of Mental Health, and your governor. He also said there's just too much paperwork. In another case from the same uh, 76 article, a 30-year-old retarded patient died on June 8, 1975 by choking on her own vomit after the nursing staff tried for 24 hours to get a staff doctor to look at her. The nurse said the patient had gained 15 pounds in four days due to drinking water, and eventually the patient died before the doctor showed up to help. Oh, my God. This 1976 grand jury was investigating 13 suspicious deaths at Camarillo since 1973 over a three-year span. And that's just, like, the, you know, probably most egregious. Um, in the 1970s, Camarillo routinely overdrugged incoming patients with something they simply referred to as number one which was mixed shots of Thorazine, Stelazine, Hyosin, or Sarantil, Stelazine, and Hyosin, according to um, a 76 LA Times article by Ellen Hume. 
So this tranquilizer cocktail was discontinued in March of 1976 due solely to people dying from it <laughs> and grand jury inquisitions into why. My God. Um, yeah. The Ventura, this is a quote, the Ventura County District Attorney is investigating more than a hundred deaths at Camarillo State Hospital over the last three years and charges of murder or manslaughter may be filed by the end of the year, a spokesman for the district attorney's office. So they were looking hard at 79 deaths, including cases of drug overdoses, strangulation, and possible gross negligence by hospital staff. Possible? All right. <laughs> Seriously, exactly. Holy shit. Um, yeah, I mean, and this is in the 70s when things were getting better. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> they were crazy. so much better, Laura. So, so much. much better. Um, and this is, of course, you know, aside from the suicides, the murders, the everything else that happens. Um, Good this God. This is a story of um, this guy named Thomas Riddle. When he was 37, he kid committed himself to Thomas their Mar- drug and alcohol. Marvolo Riddle. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh my God! No <laughs> wonder. Water thing today. I'm not making this up. <laughs> um, is, um, so he committed himself for drug and alcohol treatment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for detoxification. So, but two hours, hours after he was admitted in 1976 in November as a patient, he was found dead, shackled at the hands and feet in an isolation room at Camarillo's acute psychotic ward. The autopsy said he had died from asphyxiation due to compression of the neck and multiple drug overdose. Apparently, the patient was full of vodka, methadone, Valium, and barbiturates when he was admitted, but the staff didn't check for other drugs in the system before they gave him that number one cocktail to subdue him, because he didn't seem very subdued when he came in. I'm sure he's pretty subdued. Um, Oh, my God. The article says that he was subdued by five hospital employees, locked into leather cuffs, and tied down to a wheelchair. He was wheeled to the acute psychiatric ward. Um, And then a technician on duty that night told the grand jury that he did not feel that there was enough staff on the ward to subdue the patient without the heavy tranquilizers. Oh, my God. Yeah. There was, there's also, I mean, there were escapes. The thing is that around the hospital, it was very desert for a long time, right? This is not, this is before LA was, you know, built up all the way to right. County. There were people that would escape and there was really no sheriff in that town, but most of the people would get picked up pretty quickly because it was all desert and nowhere to go. Right. If you saw you somebody, know, people, it was likely they were from Camarillo. Right. And so, and people weren't like picking them up. There was one guy who was a veteran. He was this in the fifties. He got out, and he was a veteran of the of the Korean War. He hated it there so much. He'd only been there not less than a month, maybe even less than a week. Mm. But he said it was so terrible um, that he got out, left, got across, went to LA, ended up getting in with a reporter and talking about how terrible it was there. And there was only. That's kind of when it came to light, too, that there were only four security guards in the 50s. When there were 7,000 people there, there were four security guards. Yes, there were workers, but only four security guards for the whole place. And there were no, there weren't fences around it. Yeah. It was just the desert. Was there that <laughs> don't pick up hitchhiker sign along the highway? I'm sure there was. <laughs> but that guy, they picked him, somebody picked him up because he got to LA by that night. So. Oh, my God. And he ended up, yeah. 
getting on the news with a pretty famous um, LA news reporter at the time. So, I mean, this is the kind of crazy stuff that was just happening there all the time. Like, it seems like ever since it opened. Holy shit. Just banana stuff. This is a and, really good listener suggestion. This is a really good one. I'd never yeah, heard of this just place. how crazy it was. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't either. So when, um, when the person who actually was a nurse told me about this place, she had gone to school there and she's no. like, it used to be it used to be a mental hospital and i was like no way she said yeah and there's all kinds of crazy stuff that happened there which i know that you're going to talk about but did she have experiences yeah like they said it was super haunted most of the she said the way that she made it sound was that a lot of the students who who went it's just it's just known that that's what it, that it is you know Haunted. When you apply, that's when you're just <laughs> wow. Just right. say, you do know you're it's in Hotel California, right? On the application, <laughs> listen. <laughs> Full disclosure. <laughs> How many roommates are you comfortable with? <laughs> like they don't take up a lot of room, but they might be kind of annoying. But and they might watch you shower. Right. I mean, maybe. That's funny. All right. So that is good job story of the Camarillo State Hospital, aka Channel Island. I didn't know that about the <laughs> eugenics. That University. takes it to a whole other creepy, disgusting level. Yeah, and that was really prominent in all over California. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. Um, that is the history as to why it's haunted, guys. So let's get into my part. Um, I got my information from Medium. This is all .com. Medium, Creepy LA, The Armijo Signal, and Backpackerverse, all .com. So um, witnesses do describe all kinds of eerie stories and weird happenings. Some reports involve apparitions, This the usual suspects, right, guys? Apparitions, moving objects, voices. But in addition, headaches, nausea, dizziness, and fatigue, which I've only been to a handful of locations that actually have given me physical feelings like that. But um, the site gets used for um, by filmmakers for movies and the filmmakers who use the site for sets notice cold spots uh, or objects would go missing, windows slamming, strange knocking. As Laura said, the building is now used by California State University Channel Islands. And like she said, the students uh, to this day, even the graduate, the alumni swear that it's haunted. So... Located on the parcel of land that it's on was a dairy farm that produced crops and housed livestock that fed the hospital community. Um, the farm was disbanded in the 1960s and has been left in a state of disrepair, falling prey over the decades to vandals, and it has since been coined the scary dairy. So let's <laughs> let's take a little peek at the scary I, I dairy. I read about that. I thought it was super funny, the scary dairy. Did you? Okay. Mm. Let's take a peek at the scary dairy. So this is what it looks like today. There's two sections of it. There's this like domed, what looks like, I don't know, is sort of some like a sort barn. of barn type of place. And then this building here that's got graffiti all over it. You actually can't get to these because it's, it's, it's all blocked off by a gate. And I guess there's cameras on it. So because as you can see, trespassers are a big thing. Um, so you can't, it's not easily accessible. And, you know, again, it's on the university property, but because of its condition, they don't want anyone to go in there. 
So there's no trespassing. There's cameras. They will catch you guys. So don't even try to go to the scary dairy. But um, what you will find, should you be dumb enough to go, uh, is... People hear many things from the sound of a woman crying in that abandoned building uh, to heavy doors slamming shut, scratching on the walls when no one is around, which I think would be just foul. That's gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's harsh. Yeah. Um, in other locations throughout the um, university, lights flicker in the locker-lined hallways, rustling bars covering the windows. Um, uh of abandoned buildings shake for no reason. Like there's no, there's no earthquake. You just walk by and you hear like the wind or anything. No, almost like patients are trying to shake the rattle, the bars. Um, so this one building looks like it's just a college with some broken windows here and there, but no, um, there, a lot of the unexplained activity takes place near the dorms that are known as Anacapa and Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. Um, in the years past Santa Cruz, that houses the lower class dorms, um, mainly building H was used to house patients when it was a mental hospital. So, um, the next, um, building over is like Falling apart, broken, rusting windows, door frames. If you take a walk on the campus and you can look through the broken windows to see papers littering the floor, like medical records, there are sometimes medical supplies you'll find, and then drawings on the walls from former patients that are really creepy to look at. So it looks like it's just a warm, welcoming place. Um... One student that was there said near the Island Cafe, which is located in the South Quad, there is a long hallway lined with yellow lockers. If you keep walking until you get to the open field near a parking lot and look to the right, there's an old medical lab and office. It's barred up and closed now, but three years ago I did manage to get inside. It was dark and cold. On the walls, words were written that read, no one can help me. And in the shower room, it said in dripping letters, die. And I'm like, that's not as creepy as the no one can help me. Right. Yeah. They go on to say, this is also the location where I had the door nearly swing and hit me in the face. It was around midnight. Also around the time when the guards switched shifts. So toward the back of the school is their well-known South Quad. It's next to Napa Hall, which is their like art studio area. Mm -hmm. It's said that late at night, you can hear the disembodied sound of a former janitor jingling his keys as he cleans up what's no longer there. Uh, He goes on to say that he's not the only one that's experienced things like this. He remembers his freshman year roommate telling him that she saw her lamp shaking when there was no reason for it to shake. So no earthquake, no nothing crazy going on. Um, Another roommate of his said that um, or another roommate of his and him. That was horribly bad grammar. He and another roommate. There we go. uh, Found a door in their room to be locked and then heard it unlocked. So I'm guessing it's like a closet door, a bathroom door or something. It was locked. Shouldn't have been. They heard it unlock and then watched it slowly open by itself. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't sound fun. Uh Uh-uh, not at all. So they go on to say that their favorite spot on campus is the five-minute hike to the top of a hill where the famous well from the ring can be found. So remember I said they film movies on this property 
Yeah, they. I did read that they had to film like <coughs> and I don't know all kinds oh, of weird, really. Yeah, weird movies there. Yeah, so apparently you can find the well from the ring here. Um, so up on that hill, you overlook the campus and the fields. He said it gives you uh, that horror serial killer feeling like someone is lurking around the corner. Maybe it is Boulder Dan, which is the spirit of an escaped patient who would scream and throw rocks at people. I'm like, okay. I like that his name is Boulder Dan. (laughs) (laughs) How big were these rocks, Dan? Right. (laughs) I mean, not putting boulders. So people have reported hearing sounds that are definitely not types of noises usually heard on college campuses. People have taken pictures of abandoned buildings um, around the property and have seen faces staring back at them through the broken windows. Um, Items are it's often that items disappear from one location and reappear in another in the dorms and in the classrooms. Um, And apparently the hauntings began during the final days of its um, operation as the asylum. A nurse that worked there by the name of Debbie told how she was roughly grabbed and shaken during during a cigarette break. But when she turned around to face the person who had assaulted her, no one was around her. There was no one there. That's. Yeah, I not, did read some not great. stuff about some nurses saying that weird shit would happen. They'd hear stuff. and For sure. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another nurse reports she was pulled out of her seat by her hair while seated in an otherwise empty room. Fuck you. Don't pull me out of a chair by my hair. Like if you have to buy my clothes or something, but not my hair. Um, so I guess this degree of physical manifestation is unusual and it's likely a result of the very high number of tormented souls that pass through the walls when it was a hospital and all of the horrible things you mentioned in your beautiful part. Because um, as we all know, human pain and suffering is a potent lure um, for, you know, hauntings and, and things like that. Um, the Cal State Channel Islands is the site of one of the highest concentrations of psychic phenomena and paranormal anguish in California, which I thought was really interesting. I'm like, really? Oh, okay. Um, construction workers renovating the facility before opening um, the college always reported missing tools, um, even more disturbing large equipment and appliances in unoccupied rooms would frequently have moved to a new spot when the workers returned the next day. Oh, that's weird. That's a lot. That takes a lot of energy to do that mm-hmm. for a spirit. That takes a lot. Um, it takes a lot of energy for a person. I mean, I can't do it. <laughs> That's like a lot of shit to do, man. Dude, I cool. had to install a new microwave the other day, and Koi and I were like, this is really tiring. I think I slept till 10 a.m. the next day because I was like, this was really hard. Um, so during the final days of the renovation, several workers actually quit due to the constant noises and feelings of unease. I was like, really? Wow. All right. Um, one was quoted as saying the place was, quote, too close to the other side. I'm all, oh, all right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, again, today, even today, visitors to some areas of the campus report the headaches, the cold spots, and dis- the disorientation. Um, like you and I mentioned, um, the hospital is, um, or the college, is rumored to be the Eagles' inspiration for the classic rock song, Hotel California. And like you said, Glenn Fry and Don Henley did deny that story in a documentary about the history of the Eagles. So, 
Um, this article also went on to say that it is possible that the site did inspire the Eagles, but concerns over retaining the Hotel California trademark led their lawyers to recommend to band members that they deny it. Um, indeed, the band did sue a Mexican hotel for using the name, settling with them for an undisclosed amount. So, I don't know. It's possible, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's for sure possible. Again, if you... I know that that Mr. Revival style is quite popular, but... Especially in the Southwest. It really kind of look like it, It you know? really does. That, like, mission-looking kind of... Yeah. It really does. Let's take a look at the title because um, I think I captured that in the title. Hang on, let's take a look. Yeah. Look yeah, so there's that bell tower. So if you were to put it to the side and then hold yeah. up the album cover. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. I so. was going to mention, I did read, um, I did not substantiate this. So rumored, okay, um, because I didn't go back and fact check it. But uh, I did read that uh, Marilyn Monroe's mother spent time there. I have actually read that her mother um, did did spend time in a mental facility and that one of her parents wanted her, Marilyn Monroe herself, to when she was Norma Jean, mm-hmm. herself to check into one. Right. Yeah. So that, yes, I have read that her mother did. Now, I did read that it was this facility. Now, I can't 100% verify that. But um, it was stated on uh, a website that I was reading regarding the list of people that had stayed there because of its close proximity to Hollywood. Um, there are some people, not like huge celebrities that stayed there, but but people that were in those times very well-known, rich, mm-hmm. connected people that, uh, particularly women that were shipped into their... Those and, thinking um, women. Those thinking women. Um, <laughs> trying to negotiate their own contracts. Or, you know, depressed or, you know, sad wives. Nobody likes a sad wife. Yeah. Um, you know, those kind of things. So uh, if the wife ain't of, happy, ain't nobody happy. Oh, wait, no. Right. <laughs> there were a lot of um, kind of noteworthy noteworthy women and men that had spent yeah. time there. Um, either for being, you know terrible acts that they committed criminally insane women um or just you know like i said well connected yeah um, well mother possibly and it was a lot easier back then too for celebrities to sneak off to rehab or a mental institution and come you know they you know just come back and they're making their next film and it was a lot easier for them to do that under their radar than it is today there's just too much camera phones and everything and there's too much cctv and there's just right. a camera everywhere you go it's much harder well, for now we have celebrities fancy, we have the fancy places that celebrities can go like back then there was just didn't have like yeah with the legit, with, like, family or a private doctor or something but right yeah, yeah. you get sure. sentenced like you know charlie parker and you have to go <laughs> you have to go which yeah yeah, that's very well. And he was well known. Um, like a lot of jazz musicians of the time, they uh, heroin was like a huge problem. Yeah, God, lots of heroin addicts. Wow. Well, alrighty then. On that happy note, this good time show is coming to a close for this week, guys. <laughs> um, we do not have strange history this week, but hopefully we will next week. Um, in the meantime, Laura, why don't you let everybody know where they can follow us? 
You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at HOH Podcasts. And also on TikTok at HOH Carrie and HOAH co-host Laura. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we are, guys. Thank you so much for watching. We love you so much. We are going to be back next week with a brand new episode, which is... I'm looking forward to this one because it is a brand new episode, but it is about an old topic that we have covered. So we're going to be bringing that to you and an update on that particular uh, episode. So um, uh, that's all I got. Uh, Laura, do you have anything to send the folks off with? Did you want to recommend the dog toy Humphrey is currently enjoying to listeners? <laughs> Can you still hear that? I keep trying to hear that. Like, he's into, like right he now. Is hey, committed. Hey, hi. Awesome. That's so great. It's one of those hard bones with the stuff on the inside. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. He's so committed he's like, to the cause. Yeah. <laughs> he is such a chewer. He's just got his giant jaws. Head. Yeah. Yeah. He's husky and lab on top of that. So it's all those three just like, can I please put every single thing in my mouth and chew it? Yeah. So as long as it's not me. He is happy, but... giant. He has grown by leaps and bounds since the last time I saw him. And um, he is now the podcast horse. He is the official. We all ride him everywhere. Um... <laughs> we should have gotten a lion. God. <laughs> Oh, God. Anyway, all right, guys, we love you. And Layla, congratulations. And your wedding pictures were beautiful. And we love you. And thank you so much to the listener. Um, her name is. Uh, thank you very much for this location suggestion. This one turned out to so be sorry, I forgot. gold. Oh, well, it's okay. I remember the suggestion. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I remember that it wasn't my idea. Um, <laughs> Anyway, guys, we love you. We will see you very, very soon. And as always, stay safe out there because you never know who or what is chewing a bone in your ear. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>